Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for April 12th, 2021. Featuring poet Anna Bazicevich leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic. Formerly held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill during non-pandemic times. During pandemic times, we've been hosting the Yop virtually via Zoom. For more information and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Stella Lee, Victoria Franklin, Samantha Marin, Cassidy Gabriel, Gina Morrison, Harvey Sauce, Judy Schneier, Monica Romo, Todd Friedman, Morgan Boyle, Emma Gallagher, Seth Leeper, Arthur Russell, Eleanor Morgan, Alessandra Veron, Serenjuri Rao, Julie Rose Rivera, Bonnie Belay, Yana Kane, Bill Livingston, and last but not least, Shanice Hughes-Greenberg. So, without any further delay, let's get right to the poems this month. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for April. Enjoy. Okay, folks, uh, welcome back. We are going to get started with the open mic portion of the event. Hope you all had a chance to refresh yourselves. Uh, I was trying to take a selfie during the break. <laughs> um, I feel like someone needs to come up with a term for like the phenomenon that happens when you think you have like the perfect expression and then you take the picture and somehow like the picture that you took is like your face. It's just like something happens to your eyes and it's just like, it's not at all the image. Like you're not moving at all, but somehow your face, it gets distorted. I guess it's just life. <laughs> but uh, if you haven't taken a selfie yet, I've seen some, um, some Arthur, thanks for the selfie that you sent me. And uh, I think, uh, who else sent me one? Who, somebody posted one. Oh, Madeline, thanks for posting one on Instagram. Uh, uh, we'd love it if you would <laughs> post a selfie on Instagram or send, send me one to coup at brokenpost.org. I'll put that email in the chat again. Uh, or you can text it to me. Uh, I might as well put the number in the chat to vote for poem of the night or poem of the month, I should say. Uh, we do record the event. I'm now I'm mixing up my, my announcements, but let me just say this first now. So every month we record the open mic as a podcast uh, that we publish as the Yopcast. So if you are reading tonight, you will be on that recording. If you don't want to be on the recording, we can take you off. Just email me about it and I can remove you. Uh, we also vote for poem of the month at every yop. Uh, the way to do that is to wait until the end of the night after you've heard all of our readers and text me at 718-374-1953. Just give me the poet's name uh, and that will be casting your vote. Uh, you can vote for yourself if you want, uh, by all means, go for it. Uh, we'll be screen sharing the text of the poems, So you'll see people's names uh, at the top of their document and we'll review all the names at the end of the night. Um, Every poet is going to read uh, one poem of three minutes, uh, around three minutes, hopefully. Uh, but before we get to the open mic uh, proper, we will hear from Anna Bazicevich, who's going to read a few poems, I think, from uh, her new chapbook, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, okay, so that is all. I'm going to get out of the way and let's turn it uh, back over to Anna Bozicevic. Hey, um, nice to see you all. And I'm excited to hear everyone's poems. Um, I actually don't go to a whole lot of uh, online readings um, because I uh, am shy, I guess. <laughs> I guess so it's nice that I I'm I'm like made to come out now and, and be here with you um, so um, I'm actually going to start with the second poem Jason because I read the first one at the beginning of the workshop um, so yeah these are from I have a chapbook coming out called Spring City from Blush this week actually the pre-sale started so that's exciting uh, this is from there my heart is an old majordomo. My heart is a drum majorette, toy soldier with a broken arm falling into the sewer. What all could happen? Riding the paper boat hope out to the estuary. Will we find a spring of youth in the unassuming fountain on the corner of St. Third or condense and fade like taxicab breath? In whose sprawled out body did I make my home? Then whose blood am I rushing? The city is a heart in the middle of which there's a garden. Meet me there like the very first time, before the Apple store made us feel naked. Let's find a grail in an old sports trophy on a dying villain's shelf. When I wake from the coma, I want you to be there laughing in pajamas. I'll be the one with the bouquet from the underworld and the toy heart, sipping on a rain soda, reading the rain newspaper. So the last scene in that poem is actually from the movie Fisher King, uh, which is like a beautiful little ode to New York City. My body is haunting my soul. The clear thread of light across that tree is talking to me and my soul overgrown and metastasized from little pruning or control rises to the front of my skin like a swimmer to the rippling surface, smells the tree, sinks to it. Ever since I was little, I let my soul have free reign inside me. Whoever tried to order it eventually goes away. Do you know what it's like to have a wild garden inside you, unassailably to watch it grow whole spires of thorn to the sun and meadows far as the eye can see? I watched my soul resurrect grandfather, show me the stars. Even you fell in love with her, it could have been me. And how I wish her mission ended there. How I wish it stopped before she wears me out. An old Eastern European suit left in the dusty department store window, faded from all the years of talking to the sun. Do you have any idea the size of my soul, baby? And this last poem is for Diane de Prima. And like weirdly, I started writing this poem the day that the morning that she passed away in December in uh, was it December last year? Was it, I think it must have been December um, or was it October? See, I can't even remember anymore. But like I started writing the poem in the morning and then like in the evening I heard that she passed away. So I finished it then. Um, superstar for Diane. People have many names for a woman who fails to, to see the features of God in a single face. But what if I were to say the thing I chased never stayed in just one body? What if I told you I was following a spirit? Tumbling in the fog, see you appear. And are you here to stay this time or move on? Shadow on your silver lining with a collar up against the wind blowing from your eyes, knocking me down. By the time I got up, you were gone. I know the crime isn't trying, but so you're playing in heaven. So I'm going across islands of time to sit at a bar with a star, an actual star. Hear your words divine, lie to everyone later, they're mine. Thank you for listening. Okay, thanks very much, Anna. 
that was great. I just had to turn my video on again. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm, I'm glad you read that last poem about Diane de Prima. Uh, it's a great loss for us. Uh, beautiful poem. Uh, what's the name of your chapbook again? So that uh, Spring play. City. Spring City, and it's out today, you said? Uh, it's out from Blush. I'll, I'll send a link. Um, like the pre-sale officially starts on Wednesday, but they have a link up. So I'll, I'll, send, it to, I'll send you in the uh, chat. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Everyone get on. Yeah, if you want, if you want some spring poems, um, New York spring poems, yes. that's, what that's what this is. <laughs> yes, we all do. Very basic concept. <laughs> okay. Uh, love your work, Anna. So it's always a pleasure to hear it. Thanks for having me yet again. Thank you so much. Um, okay, we are on to the open mic proper, and uh, Stella Lee, no stranger to all of you, is going to start us off tonight. Go for it, Stella. Great, thank you. Equilibrium. Flooding over this brain, vibrating and flowing back, we are stardust made from years ago. Waking here now, I try to figure out how the steps of my feet vibrate into concrete and maneuver around ashen masks and blackened snow ice. The push of sunlight blinds my eyes where an eye in the center of an apple seed is filled with cyanide. If you eat enough, it can kill you. There are so many things that can kill you. Our bodies frail, our bodies needy, our bodies leaving pieces with each step we take the skin sheds, the hair falls out, our bodies eke out life. There is but so much you can keep. It accumulates, building piles and piles of memories to sit dust covered and wilting like the petals and cuttings of plants. I want these pieces to keep, grow and spread their roots, live in the good earth and bear flowers. Speaking of when we were younger, these moments forgotten, cut into collages of memories, drops in a pool, poems on the wind. I try to hold on to this thought, but it is a kaleidoscope. The light refracts over surfaces, waves are absorbed and sucked into place. Everything has a color. I still want to be the color of light and reach to catch the balloon hovering over my head. Thank you for saying that. No one knows how long the feeling lasts without remembering. Okay, beautiful poem. Once again, Stella, no surprise to all of us that know your work. Um, also, was that, was that like a violin playing in your background? <laughs> It, it's my daughter. Sorry about that. Um, she's practicing. practicing. She's <laughs> practicing the bot. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me when I used to practice the violin. <laughs> I feel like practice would be a, a euphemism for sounding terrible, <laughs> but she sounds a lot better than I sounded. Uh, I feel like it's an unmistakable sound, though, the sound of someone practicing the violin that that's not like Ishtak Perlman or something. <laughs> Uh, She's well, little. yeah, tell your daughter that I, I said, uh, you know, keep it up. She sounds great. Okay. Uh, thanks very much, Stella. Uh, our next reader is one of my students from Quinnipiac University. I've got a few students reading tonight from Quinnipiac who uh, have all been assigned to read in an open mic before the semester ends. So uh, some of them are uh, doing that tonight. Uh, give it up for Tori Franklin. 
Hi, everyone. Um, so the title of my poem is When I Think of Alice Siebold While Driving While Walking in My Car. I firmly hold my keys in my hand and glue my thumb to the small unlock button, pressing it five times, a practice I was taught at 12 when my mom took me to my first self-defense class, a class made up entirely of women who all had one common goal of finding a way to protect themselves, telling story after story of a time that they felt helpless. You see, Alice was helpless, a freshman walking in a park and lonely, unknowingly making the mistake of being alone. I think of this while I walk alone, proactively running through every defense technique I know. They suddenly hear footsteps behind me, but I'm too scared to look as a large shadow starts to come closer to mine. Was this how Alice felt? Causing me to pick up my pace, trying to focus on my instructor's words. Take out your phone and call someone, but who would answer if I called right now? Because that shadow is getting closer, and with each second, my heart beats faster. I'm almost there. I see my car. Hold the key so you can use it as a weapon. I fumble with the biggest one, holding it with shaking hands, praying that it will be enough to save me. I feel the tap on my shoulder and accept my fate, turning abruptly, key in hand, letting out a squeal. And I'm met by my frightened eyes and my friend. He does not realize the horror he caused because he does not have to think of Alice. Thank you. Okay, well done, Tori. Uh, beautiful poem, it's a haunting poem. I remember this from workshop. Looks like you've revised it already. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm proud of my students. Hopefully you're all proud of them as well. I think they're doing great work this semester. So uh, uh, it's, I'm glad to be able to share my students work with the Broken Poets community tonight. Um, fantastic stuff, Tori. Thank you very much. Uh, moving on to our next reader, Samantha Marin, one of my uh, Broken Poets students. Uh, how are you doing, Samantha? I'm doing good. How are you doing? All right. I've been better, but uh, I'm doing good now. I've had, I've had a terrible two weeks, but um, I'm good oh. now that I'm yapping with all of you. So, okay. yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Um, this poem I wrote is called Home is Not Respectable. Home is not respectable. Home is hot bake, rich with melting butter and yellow gold cheddar cheese. Home is the silver ring that skewered the DJ's right nipple under the teenage glow of a black light. Home is the ocean sounds of my mother's abdomen when I press my child air against her leopard print house dress. Home is my earliest memory, Tenyon Beach in Dorchester. I am a toddler trying to catch the jogger. I fall already so close to the ground the sea air, barefoot roughness against my toes. Home is the edge of Jamaica Pond in the heat of June and flirting, finding his mouth and his smell after two years. Home is Gory Island, alone in a corner, watching the Atlantic angry as the other students watch me. I sat on a mat under a baobab tree, shaded from a sun that is high and hot. Behind me, my sister braids my hair. In a moment of active rest, I watch my family move through our home, which spreads as far as my eye can see. Home is the bay, boats, oil and gas containers, bubbling treated sewage 100 feet from fishing lines. Home is a small bachelor apartment with black painted wood floors, mold in the bathroom, cigarette and weed smoke 
I cry and shit myself in illness on a broken futon. Home is the back seat of a pickup truck and chess under my lover's arm. I smell his smells around me, full moon high, hearing the voices of his friends complain and surreal about the fast driving over sand dunes. And I cannot stop laughing and laughing and laughing in disbelief that I made it back home. Thank you. All right. That was amazing. Thank you, Samantha. Uh, wow, what an amazing poem about home. With all the layers that home usually has. Uh, great title. Home is not respectable. Um, it's not a, a, definitely not a, a, like a title that you would expect, so. Which is what makes it good. <laughs> um, okay. Thanks very much, Sam. Our next reader, uh, I think debuted last month uh, and uh, was a big, big hit with the audience. Cassidy Gabriel, how are you doing this month? I'm good. Thank you, Jason. How are y'all? Good to have you back. It's Go good for to it. be back. Thank you. Um, okay. Lips. In the eighth grade, Mrs. Larkin stops class to tell everyone that I have perfect lips for drawing. She has never seen lips that are so categorically, anatomically, phenomenally perfect. Beckons the class over to see up close for themselves. We are drawing self-portraits in the mathematical way, bisecting and trisecting our cherubic faces, slicing eyes from noses, dissolving ourselves into thirds and quarters of cheek and ear in search of the ratio that will tell us who is worth it. Does this divide? Does this divide? They are so bow-shaped, a vermilion border crafted by Cupid himself, and so full. Literally, she's never seen it before. Not in all of her years of teaching, never seen a pair of black lips. Thank you. Damn. Uh, amazing poem. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> great ending. And uh, just, uh, yeah, it's uh, so precise and subtle. And uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm a fan. Great job. Um, okay. I feel like I need to be more articulate. The, the problem with emceeing open mics is like, you really have to like turn on your articulate brain <laughs> just to say pithy things between poems but uh sometimes the poems are so good that you really you have nothing to say except wow uh thanks very much cassidy uh our next reader another quinnipiac student of mine gina morrison who's gonna read a poem inspired by uh reginald Dwayne betts's amazing poem uh parking lot uh two he's, he's got two poems called parking lot in his new book felon gina how are you doing good i'm good how are you all right uh, good luck. That's my small typo in the beginning. Um, this is enough is enough. A confession begins when I walk into the parking lot. I ponder the nights we've spent alone together in this parking lot where we've shared countless hours in this parking lot where we've talked about the future, thinking about all the time we have, thinking about what we can be. In this parking lot, we are here together, only us. My confession to you is why aren't we where we want to be? My confession to you is that I wish you knew the countless hours I spend thinking about you. 
but you don't. You don't see this confession of mine to be something more. You see her. You've always seen her. I'm in this parking lot with a wanderous mind, wanting you to know how exactly I feel, but is it is her eyes you see. With locks of auburn and eyes of the sea, you see her entire universe but mine. Why can't the eyes in my deep dark brown and midnight hair strike you like hers does? My heart is longing for yours to be with mine. It always has, but never enough. The confession begins when I walk into a parking lot. But what good does that do if you don't even see the love I have for you? You don't even see me. My love for you is one that is so strong to come to, come to terms with. Something I know deep down should be buried and never explored again. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, a confession begins and I walk into the parking lot. But what does that do? What good does that do if you don't even see the love I have for you and you don't even see me? My love for you is one that is too strong to come to terms with. Something I know deep down should be buried and never explored again because when has love ever just been enough? Okay, thank you. Beautiful poem. I feel like I've been uh, reading about this breakup all semester. <laughs> I feel I feel terrible for you, and I just want to I just want to smash this person. <laughs> but uh, um, hopefully, this has been cathartic. Uh, writing about it this semester. Uh, yeah, great last line. When has love ever just been enough? It's a, it's a good question. Um, okay. Uh, thanks very much, Gina. Our next reader is the one and only Harvey Sauce. Harvey, how are you? Hopefully unmuted. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Harvey, you need to unmute yourself. This happens every month. I'm going to ask to unmute you. There I go. Yeah, I lost. <laughs> I lost the button for some reason. I <laughs> I don't know. Um, another short-term memory loss. Uh, first, if I may, I'd just like to take a moment to, as I usually do, invite you to Artful Dodgers poetry. I've posted uh, in the chat um, an Eventbrite link and also my uh, uh, email address. Uh, at which you might register. It's this coming Saturday at 4 p.m. And we're featuring Anne Drysdale from uh, South Wales in the UK, uh, who's quite good. So I hope you'll join us. Uh, the poem I'm gonna read today is called, uh, let me bring up my version, which is much larger typeface, called Noah. Because what do we really know about Noah? There were no how-tos on how to survive the flood, no time for a visit to a shipyard for casual note-taking, no instruction booklet or manual accompanied God's command to build an ark, whatever an ark was, the or else implicit in it. Not even a few hours off to teach Naaman the children how to swim as a backup plan. If asked his opinion, he wasn't. He would have advocated for a less severe punishment, locusts perhaps or erectile dysfunction, something more than a slap on the wrist to be sure, yet not so permanent as near extinction would be. If prayer is God's food, wouldn't he starve if there was no one left to pray apart from the knowers in their brood? A compromise then is being best for all parties. Darkness for a fortnight to be followed by 
probation and after a few years expungement. Everyone gets a clean slate and begins again, something plaguey but endurable, lawyering for his species. A generalist education hadn't prepared him for this, to be God's Mr. Fix-It, how his wife had laughed to friends, her husband couldn't fill a hole in the ground if you gave him a shovel, shipbuilder indeed. Her remembered smirk, engendering shameful thoughts of leaving her behind, he stored away in a Pandora's box, believing it a safe deposit, desirous of maintaining a mother for his children, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the post-flood nuclearity of his family. Sorry, in-laws, no place for you on board. He wasn't the first Yahweh interviewed for the job. There had been that fellow across the street, better get used to employing the past tense whom God had considered appointing in his stead, Jehoshaphat, the beekeeper, an idealist who couldn't hold a secret, who would have blurted out God's plan and caused a panic, a rush towards further idolatry, keening, why have you deserted us, O Lord? Noah, born under a death star, seemed to have been made for the ark, able to keep his mouth shut about having suffered from seasickness, his prior lack of ocean-going experience about never having waded in above his knees misdirecting nosy Nancy's, characterizing his woodworking as that of a hobbyist, perfectly suited to a straw man captaincy, having been given to understand in the form of a persimmon seated with management's assurances that once the waters, that the waters once loosed wouldn't rise high enough to swallow all the arable land, a settlement on the summit of Mount Ararat, for instance. Who was he then to question Elohim's intentions, the Lord's megaphonic halu of do-overs or to exult to passing neighbors? I've got an ark and you don't. Who was he or any of us to question the God of the chosen's choice of drowning and mass over rehabilitation? No righteous vetcher, cautious by nature would dare to term it peak or to suggest to those more angelic than himself the utility of water wings. Loverly pillow talk of clouds gathering above was soft as the patter of preschoolers' feet upon a daycare's floor. Barbecue fires were being lit before sundry golden idols, haunches of meat roasting to attract favorable conditions for the coming harvest. As it wasn't a work day, no one was heard to complain with only Noah frequently glancing up for any sign of rain. Okay, great stuff, Harvey. I uh, really enjoyed this poem. It's a great idea for a poem. Uh, I feel like this poem always had to be written. Um, yeah, it couldn't have been easy for Noah. <laughs> uh, there was no how-to manual for that shit. Damn right, he, he was stuck white for eternity. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, imagine being told, well, you got, you got to build an ark because there's going to be a big I'm flood. right. Good luck. <laughs> and, uh, you got you to bring all the animals on board, just like two of each. I'm right. Uh, well, we know what he did with the sheep, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, no in-laws. Uh, but uh, 
maybe he brought some poets on board. I don't know. I don't know if the poets be allowed. Yeah. Um, only uh, Brooklyn Poets, the Operas, and uh, and maybe the Artful Dodgers. One of these will do. Yeah, because we can start a world over. Right. Okay. Thanks very much, Harvey. Uh, our next reader is the one and only Judy Schneier. How are you doing, Judy? I'm good. Hi, Jason. This poem, this poem looks enticing already. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, go for it, Judy. I'm going to read a slightly edited version from what you guys have because I, it's a little long. Okay. What my mother fed me. My mother used to cut up cucumbers and radishes and put them in sour cream for me to eat. Today, when I was eating a salad, I often make with chopped up red cabbage, tomatoes, carrots, snap peas, scallions, yellow pepper, and feta cheese. I thought of her. I used to eat my salad with expensive red wine vinegar from the farmer's market, but lately I've been mixing in creamy ranch dressing from Food Town. I graze on it all day in my homebound COVID world. As I was stirring in the creamy white stuff, I realized this dish was a lot like sour cream with radishes and cucumber. My mother also made me Heinz vegetable soup out of a can for lunch. It was my favorite lunch. One day when I was six, Phyllis Newberger came over and my mother brought the soup into the dining room for us. I had a fit because she gave Phyllis her soup first. I convinced my mother to go out and serve it again and give me the soup first. This probably explains a lot. My mother also made cornflake chicken. My sisters and I laugh about it now, but in fact, it was absolutely delicious. The cornflakes soaked up all the oil and when the chicken was out of the pan, you could scrape up what had fallen off with your fingers. The flakes were oily and crunchy and stuck together. My mother often made a dish for company called sweet and sour salmon. She served it cold and put raisins in it. I found it disgusting and often teased her about it. I teased her a lot. I told her I knew she worked for the CIA Food Protection Commission and that her job was to make sure all food was protected and not disrespected by being left uneaten. It's her job. I explained to my sisters while she was standing close by, looking at me sideways, listening to every word. That's why she serves things again and again as if you're legally blind and can't see what she's put in front of you three times already. It's CIA protocol. My mother rolled her eyes. On a mission today, I would ask as she pressed a piece of chicken on me, don't they give you any time off? When she commented on the state of my plate at a Chinese restaurant. My mother lived with one foot in a dream world, just like I do now, remembering when her children happily ate what she gave them, believing anything that came from her was good. I often have visions of the time when my son, now a strict vegetarian who hates all vegetables, sat in his high chair eating kale. My children discovered the pleasure of rejecting my food earlier than I learned the joy of rejecting hers, perhaps to rub it in. They ate the food my mother made them when she came to visit us from Florida. My mother would walk in the apartment and go straight to the washing machine and start doing our laundry. But then she would make split pea soup and her grandsons would sit and eat it all for her. I watched with a bittersweet feeling. My mother became very sick with lung cancer and she wanted to eat only macrobiotic food. We found a service that would prepare and deliver the food she wasn't ready to die. My nephew was going to have his bar mitzvah soon, and my son would be next.
She was determined. My mother gathered up her energy and made a Passover meal for the whole family. She was a whirlwind. All of her grandchildren were there. She cooked, she served, she told stories. She recited the Camuel from start to finish. It was a poem she learned in junior high school. Several days later, when everyone had left but one of her daughters, she stopped being able to swallow. I rushed out of the food co-op, leaving a full cart in the checkout line when I got the call. We all met at the hospital in Florida. She asked for her microbiotic food, and I placed an order. When it arrived, she couldn't eat any of it. They moved her to the hospice section, and she worried out loud about renewing her driver's license. But during the night, she made scary noises in her throat. The doctor suggested she'd be more comfortable with morphine, so he gave it to her and she never woke up. My mother had left a lot of expensive macrobiotic food lying around the hospice. I ate as much as I could. It was the least I could do to take on her final mission. I can't claim to have finished it, though I did my best. Normally, it was my ideal food, clean, healthy, very little oil. But that day, miso soup tasted like warm, salty water, and the brown rice clumped in my stomach. I looked at her flowered bathrobe, pink slippers, and the empty bed with sheets still wrinkled from her body. I yearned for cornflake chicken, pepper steak, Heinz vegetable soup, mandel bread, and cucumbers with radish and sour cream. Wow, thank you so much, Judy. It's a beautiful oh, poem for your thank mother. You. There's something about food and family that always <laughs> seems to work, uh, especially in writing about one's mother. Uh, yeah, very beautiful. Thank you. Did you just write this recently? Wait, you're muted, Judy. Sorry, I wrote this a few months ago, Jason. Okay. Yeah. Great, thank you. Sure. Uh, okay. Our next poet is uh, Monica Romo. I'm glad Monica's reading. She's been uh, attending the workshops, but uh, always opting out of the open mic. But I, I guess this month, uh, you're ready to do the open mic, which is great. Uh, how are you doing, Monica? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Go for it. Waves of hunger before, during, and after, or hambre de la pandemia, before. Red Jeep backseat, almost 17. During. I've been thinking about the night at the volcano's peak. It was July 2019. The heat maxed out, withholding eruption. We could have stayed holding each other, but fearing lava, I left to breathe air conditioning. I had the challah with honey, butter, cinnamon, just the way she likes it. Forgive me, diet. It was there, and that is not always the case. I had dreams of assembling a puzzle with her, the most unsexy Tuesday thing to do, right? Forgive me, Sister Fox. When we opened the box, it was filled with thousands of pomegranate seeds, jewels derived from a logic outside boredom. The pieces could be put on axes anywhere, and so we did end up in red, strange sweetness. It was infinite. Now tell me what to do about God. 
So that our delinquency, the lunch break we take on the playground periphery, nannies on the boss's clock, nannies on the boss's dollar pays off, we first take our watches off and then take our time. I thought I was too poor for this babysitting money to feed me, but the orality of speaking with you constitutes a meal complete. Turns out there is such a thing as a free lunch if you eat. After. The light at the end of this tunnel is sweet, like honey heaped like a molehill that needs agitation at the bottom of a cup of tea or of a sea half a million deaths deep. We are an unmixed mountain of sugar in the ocean, collected fetally in the darkness on its floor, waiting to be stirred, waiting to be kicked up from abyss like dust. And so I need you like Zinedine, Rapino, a little messy for our delivery from evil. Come on down like the neighborhood crop top soccer star. You are your Adidas spoons. Kick like a baby. We have all become unborn. Make a tornado of us. Swirl the hopeful sugar of the living into the world's stagnant water before another year comes. I want to get up off the floor and like a solvent dilute pandemia incorporate into its saccharine restoration into its red, sweet lava, I want to disappear. Okay, thanks very much, Monica. That was amazing. What an ending. I love this whole last uh, rush here, that whole last long stanza, especially a little messy for my delivery from evil neighborhood crop top soccer star. You are, that was unexpected. Um, great turn there. We have all become unborn. Uh, I feel like the poem is much smarter than me, but uh, I feel like even in my unsmartness, I'm able to enjoy it. Um, all right. Thanks very much, Monica. Uh, I hope you read again for our open mic. Our next reader is no stranger to all of you uh, open mic veterans, Todd Friedman, hailing from Sunset Park. How are you doing, Todd? All right. How are you? I'm good. Okay. 28 day shuffle. This was the unofficial policy during the 80s carried out by New York City welfare hotels so residents couldn't gain tenants' rights after 30 days. The city was complicit in making room in the shelters when the hotels were ready to move people out. You come in for your shift at the shelter and the kids jump all over you, hanging from your neck. You do arts and crafts and help them put on talent shows, but your favorite activity in theirs is the game where you throw them on the couch while their laughter gets louder and louder, and they keep lining up and coming at you till you have to give in to exhaustion. Later, you find out that one of the new mothers has asked a veteran if you're out to hurt these black and brown children. You get it. The world has taught her not to trust white people. A couple of weeks before MLK Day, one of the older kids wants to know if we can do something to celebrate. You stumble on a play in a bookstore and grab it. Soon everyone is involved. Even a heavyset security guard who comes in to sing Go Down Moses during her breaks. 
then you have a small crisis when the kid who's playing MLK has to leave a day before the performance as the city sends his family circling the boroughs in an unofficial dance called the 28 Days Shuffle. Now you have to scramble for a new king. At night, you make the rounds with a flashlight, counting the empties of the hundred beds on the floor. Some of the residents say, this ain't no jail. You still remember this many years later, but the thing that keeps coming back to you most, in fact, every time you watch the pigeons circle the buildings on your corner, you think of how a kid and his family would be sent out only to be brought back a few weeks later. You kept looking for MLK. Okay, great poem, Todd. Uh, great subject. Uh, you captured it really well. Thank you. Um, is this a new poem for you? Yes. All right, good stuff. Uh, doing great work, Todd Friedman. One of the poets laureate of Sunset Park, if y'all didn't know. Uh, got a lot of good poets in that neighborhood. <laughs> Our next poet, uh, one poem of the month, last month, I believe. Was that last month, Morgan? Yeah, that was last month. It feels like a year ago. Yeah, it just feels like a long time ago. <laughs> uh, well, welcome back as the reigning poem of the month champion. Go for it. All right. Um, I am lucky. I am working. I am not sad. I am eating thin mint. I am sorry. There is one working fluorescent light in the break room. There is one working fluorescent light in the break room. There is one fluorescent light in the break room. It is working. Can you tell? God, you are so lucky today. God, you are so lucky. It is working today. God, you are so lucky to be working today. God, you are lucky to be working today when so many are not. God. Someone put thin mints in the break room. Jesus Christ Almighty, someone went and put thin mints in the break room. Thin mints are in the break room, and so are you, and so is the one working fluorescent light. Bask, goddammit. Look. Look at you. Look at you, you who are not dead. Look at you, you who are not dead today under the one working fluorescent light. Look at you, you who are not dead today basking in the break room. Look at you, lucky you, you who are working today. Look, work is what you've worked for. Work is what you've gained. Work is what to do until you are dead. Work is one fluorescent light and basking and thin mints and break room and not being dead. Work is what Jesus Christ is dead for. God, you are so lucky today. Today, the day we are to give thanks for your luck in not being dead. Today, the day we are to give thanks for your luck in working. Today, the day we are to give thanks for the work done by others to give work to you, this work done by you, given by others, most definitely impacting the world. Forms impacting the world. Forms impacting us all. Forms full of impacting information. Forms impacting us softly as corpses in the grounds of the earth. Forms, we all rot the same. Today, the day we are to give thanks for days off for the Thanksgiving holiday. Give thanks for us. Give thanks for the PDF on gratitude we are gifting you. Give thanks for your living body that is employed. Give thanks for if you are reading the PDF, you are not dead. Give thanks for not being sad. 
Give thanks for if you are sad, you are not dead. Give thanks for us reminding you that you are not dead. Give thanks for not being dead and sad. Give thanks for we will see your not dead and not sad body at work tomorrow. Give thanks for you are welcome. Slide the thin mints down the not dead throat of the lucky working body basking in the break room under the one working fluorescent light. Slide the thin mints down, slide the thin mints down, you are not dead. Slide the thin mints down, you still haven't died. Slide the thin mints down and good God almighty and Jesus Christ also. Slide the thin mints down and feel the morale flow through you. Wow, that was... Um... That was amazing. Uh, I think that was better than the poem you read last month, which was also amazing, obviously, because it won poem of the month. But uh, thank you. Wow, where did this poem come from? This is like it's like it's kind of like a Beckett-like quality to this, and uh, the thin mints and bass, goddammit, and the one working fluorescent light, and it's a poem about uh, sort of like an anti-ode to working. <laughs> uh, this is just, uh, when did you write this, Morgan? Did you just write this? Uh, yeah, I wrote that last week on uh, <laughs> Library Worker Appreciation Day. <laughs> we were given a crappy nice. umbrella and uh, we almost got COVID because of the Thin Mints. Do you work in a library? Yeah, I'm a librarian. Nice. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be talking shit about my job. I, I love my job. No, of course. Some days, that's, that's some days you know, that's you, the whole reason why we work to talk shit about our job. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's me? that's existence. That's what I we do. About, so. I talk shit about my job every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, not my coach job, but my CPI job. Yeah. My students who are here all, all can verify this. <laughs> we all drown in forms every day. So, yeah. Oh, I love yeah. the form stuff. Um, yeah. I feel like we all need to like print this out and pin it on our walls at work. Um, great stuff. Thank you. Slide the thin mints down. It's <laughs> a great much. This really makes me want thin mints. I have to say, uh, which I feel like would go really well with my bourbon. Um, I feel like there's probably a speakeasy in, in Bushwick that's like specializing in in bourbon and thin mints. But if and if there isn't, there should be one. And it'll probably start tomorrow. Someone at this event we'll begin that bar tomorrow <laughs> next up is another one of my uh quinnipiac students who can uh i'm sure testify to how i bitch about my job at quinnipiac uh very talented student emma gallagher how are you emma hi everyone i'm good how are you i'm good go for it <laughs> good <laughs> um so this poem's called i wonder um i wonder what she thinks about on our late night drives this used to be something we enjoyed together, blasting music and driving too fast around the worn out pavements of our hometown. Our dad taught us how to drive well. We trust each other and know that we'll always end up back on Bellevue Ave. But I see now that her mind drifts and I can't help but think that she is somewhere else, absent from the comfort of our little red car. I feel pressured to choose the right song and to keep our spirits high. That's the only thing I can do really because I wasn't in the Uber the night she was raped, but at least I can control the mood of our used to be favorite pastime. I can tell by her eyes that she isn't with me when there's a pause in between the constant shuffle of in alternative and indie music. And I get so angry, I feel like I could scream. I've never felt the need for justice so prominently because while my sister dies inside, he gets to walk around free, which makes me think it's not just only my family that needs justice. 
It's not just my sister, it's millions of sisters. It's every girl that can't walk alone on the street past 5 p.m. for fear of being attacked. It's having to change our clothes, hair, makeup, identity to protect ourselves from men that will never face the consequence of hurting women. It's schools that make girls cover up because boys can't control their desires. It's workplaces where harassment is a guarantee. It's constantly having to remind, look behind, be silenced, check the time, and never being heard no matter how many times no is said or implied. Each day that goes by where we don't acknowledge the problem of rape and rape culture, we are ignoring every woman whose soul has been tainted by the hands of men. Time is up for a reason. We can't live another day without change. And I'll hope I, I'll be able to live in a world where my sister doesn't have PTSD from cars one day. Okay, thank you, Emma. Uh, beautiful poem. Many beautiful poems about your sister that uh, I've been reading over the last couple of semesters. Uh, it's just a horrible thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like hopefully the poems are helping. I don't know, do you share your poems with your sister, Emma? Some of them, <laughs> not all yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, well, you're a good sister, that's for sure. Um, okay, thanks very much, Emma. Our next poem is by Seth Leeper, no stranger to all of you, who are Yop regulars. Seth, how's it going? Doing good, how are you? I'm good, go for it. All right, um, I'm actually gonna open this in a separate window cause I get kind of like, um, when it's going. Um, I feel like I should like mention like some trigger warnings here cause the speaker is a child that's trying to avoid peril from adults. So we kind of, there's a little bit of a raw thing going on tonight, I guess. So here it goes. It's called House Arrest. I woke up with the sogginess of the black trash bag still wet on my fingers and a heartbeat leaving obtrusions on my chest where it tried to escape my body. And I wish I could tell you the confirmation of the dream was enough to settle it back into its hollowed socket, but the dampness on my fingers and the smell of the garage and the rolling of the body into plastic bags were too vivid in the air to dismiss. So I relived the dream in its entirety in a stasis between paralysis and fleeing and the knock on the door of a stranger whom I knew by instinct shouldn't be there, though I couldn't remember his face then, and I certainly can't describe it now, though I can tell you that he wasn't the bearded stranger who would follow me home from the school bus, and he wasn't the babysitter who scolded us for not calling when we reached home, because there were men in the streets hungry for little boys with blonde hair and blue eyes just like us, and I can tell you he felt like the feeling in my stomach when that other stranger knocked on my father's door, but not like the feeling of how relieved we were when he walked away and didn't come back because he looked so much like Captain Hook and the stories of pirates stealing children right out of their driveways were rampant even then so we got lucky as two children alone in a house. And it must have been that feeling that compelled me to pull the trigger of the gun I hadn't had in my hand before. And it was that feeling also that sprung me into action, scooping his limbs, his body into the black trash bags on the freezing and dank cement floor of the garage, but not the same feeling that triggered instant regret and the terror of red and blue lights flashing through the window. It was not the same feeling that forced out salty baby tears at the thought of the people who had loved and lost their monsters 
monster sleeping now in the trash bags and not the same feeling that imprinted the stain of shame on my soul, like a permanent veil I would never lift or shake. And it was the veil that was more terrifying than the act of the trigger, which triggered the overwhelming certainty that my young life was now over. But when my eyes opened in my puke, in my pre-pubescent bed, and I should have rejoiced at the sight of the popcorn ceiling, I instead crept cautiously across the blue living room carpet and ever so slowly through the litter-scented laundry room, straight to the creaky hinge door to where I'd last wrapped a lemon plastic, and with one eye open and the other squeezed shut, I placed my hand on the knob and turned it in my trembling palm. Wow, Seth, that was amazing. Uh, this really has all of you in it. Uh, it's got that same velocity we've seen in the poems you've been reading recently, but it's got so much force. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, amazing. Have you? Did you write this recently? Yeah, like earlier this week. Um, it's a it, well. Thank you for thinking it is consistent. I guess with what I've been writing, I feel like right. I'm pivoting a little bit in content and some style. I've actually been writing a lot more prose, ironically, or poems I'm shaping into boxes of prose and playing with the form on the page. Um, right. And this is kind of coming out of like a, a work that I'm writing into with like memories of my father and um, space, which makes no sense, but yeah. Nice. <laughs> so. All right. Well, fantastic stuff. Uh, sounds like you're doing great work. I guess forays into prose can be productive <laughs> for your poetry too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, great poem. Thank you, Seth. Thank you. Uh, our next poet, the one and only Arthur Russell, the winner of every Yop Award we've ever offered. Uh, how are you, Arthur? You are back from your mentorship program workshop. Yeah, we were we were captured for a few, uh, at least one one Yop, but and and Jay, uh, Jay uh, promises that there won't be any conflicts with Yops until July. <laughs> okay, go for it. This is uh, called Mothwing Trilogy. My father, my grandfather, read a newspaper for moths, which oddly was printed on mothwings. My grandfather read mothwings by the fire, soft as flannel, mothwings held up to the light. He'd grouse about the rising price of wing dust, poo-poo reviews of English suiting with lanolin mouthfeel and notes of chervil, or sit up hard and call to me, hey kid, remember that son of a light bulb who patched the sun porch screen with chewing gum? Well, I'll be squashed. It's opened up again. After I had helped him up to bed, I'd browse the back page personals, their sad pupil prayers for love, their hunger for the light. Then I'd stack the moth wings on the ottoman and carry his whiskey glass back into the kitchen, lit by the fey light on the dishwasher. Which fey light? The soft, almost pastel light on the rotating wheel at the bottom of the dishwasher in our first family house on East 7th Street between X and Y, which I, with my older sister, would stare at 
lying on our stomachs, shoulders touching, on the kitchen floor, those early evenings with the lights off, parents in the living room watching TV, and our kid brother already in bed, waiting for the wheel to rotate from wash, pale green, to rinse, pale orange, when the darkness held no danger and the floor warmed our full bellies. Keep going. <laughs> Butcher paper tally on the use of oddly in the title of part one of the North Wing trilogy. Oh, I missed your question about oddly. The question being whether I need it in the title of my Mothwing poem. And I love that the question focuses on my needs rather, for example, than the needs of the poem or society since the poem may not and society does not. But when you look down into the carnival of organs, glands, the synapse, bone and boil, ligament and elbow, packed into and squeezed partway out and caught in the jaws of the steamer chest that is my hive, you'll see the need, no question whose, for oddly neon lit and laughing. No, there's no more. <laughs> All right, thank you, Arthur. It's good to have you back. It's a beautiful poem. Uh, yeah, I was tricked by the space there. I love this witch fate light um, stanza, or I guess that's like a section of the poem. You really made that dishwasher <laughs> transcendent <laughs> it's hard to do that uh it's like a good assignment prompt write a poem about a dishwasher and make it sing <laughs> uh yeah i don't i can't try to think of like a great poem about a dishwasher by any like other poet i don't can't think of any <laughs> so, happened now happened yeah now. that might be that might be your domain <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> all right thanks arthur our next poet is Eleanor Morgan with the sky background. I'm looking at your background. Yes. <laughs> to hide uh, my boring light. <laughs> All right, go for it, Eleanor. Uh, pink song. When I was younger, I believed the sky was a glass dome. And if one day I turned into a sparrow and flew hard enough, I could crack the dome open and heaven would spill everywhere. Getting on everyone and everything would be pink, which is the color of heaven. I wish I could describe the heaven pink always in my head in such a way that you could taste it too. The shade of pink that blooms when I look at the sun with my eyes closed and the pink of the underbelly of my tongue in the mirror and the pink of late summer sunset over the water, all of these pinks are heaven pink at once and still have I done enough to make you understand if I 
turned into a sparrow, I would swim forever in that perfect color. And my small sparrow body would be pink too and light. And I would look down at all the other birds, the sparrows and the geese, and we would all sing and sing and sing. Beautiful poem. I feel like your sky background is perfect for this. Did you choose that on purpose? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I thought it's a turning into spring, so. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's wonderful. I love that. What are those lines about heaven spilling over all of us? I could crack the dome open and heaven would spill everywhere, getting on everyone and everything. It's a great wish. Uh, yeah, true lyric poem. Um, I feel like I don't write lyric poems. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that talent. I don't know how I would describe my poems, but I wouldn't describe them as lyric poems. But that's a lyric poem. That's a true, true lyric. Uh, thanks very much, Eleanor. Uh, our next poet, uh, another Quinnipiac student of mine. I've had to say Quinnipiac more times than I would care to tonight. <laughs> but uh, uh, while I don't love my university, I love my students. Uh, Alessandra, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Alessandra uh, introduced uh, Reginald Dwayne Betts at his reading uh, last week. Uh, did a great job. And tonight she's going to read one of her poems. All right. Go for it, Alessandra. Ready. I am. I am a woman. I am lucky. I was waiting for the bus at 7 a.m. and a truck drove by. The driver honked as he passed and shouted out the window. I was 12. I am lucky. Can you send me your picture? Why? You'll be mad. I promise I won't. I needed to jack off. I was <laughs> 13. I am lucky. I'm at the park with my friend. There are some older boys on top of the hill. An older girl comes up to us. Hey, what grade are you guys in? We just finished eighth. Don't go up there. You'll literally get raped. I was 14. I am lucky. A guy touched my ass in gym class. It was an accident. He did it again in the lunch line an hour later. I was 14, I am lucky. Walking to my friend's house, 9.15 at night, a car drives by and a man yells, nice ass. I was 14, I'm lucky. Boston, darkness. You ladies look beautiful tonight, you should come with us. No thank you, they shout obscenities as we speed away. I was 15, I am lucky. He was my boyfriend. He would never mind his hands. He put them wherever he wanted them to go, even though he never asked and I never said yes. I was 15. I am guilty. I'm walking to a show with a friend in the city. Two men behind a fence tell us, you girls are awful pretty. We say, thank you so much. But before we can go, they say, why don't you join us? But we politely say no. They slam the fence with their fists and start swearing, calling us ungrateful and rude. We ran away. I was 16. I'm uncomfortable. My guy friend and I were standing on the sidewalk. A car drives by. A man yells, stick your finger in her. My friend is disgusted and I say, you get used to it. I was 17. I'm embarrassed. I was at a music festival looking for my friends and a man stumbles up and asks for a kiss. He puckers his lips and throws himself forward. I run away as fast as I can. I was 17. I am scared. A 32 year old man from Pennsylvania finds my Snapchat. You can't get me in trouble now, right? 
what do you mean? You're not a minor anymore. Well, yeah. Can you send me pictures? I'd rather not. He keeps asking. I was 18. I am 18. I'm angry. I'm lucky those cars didn't stop. I'm lucky that man didn't know me. I'm lucky the girl at the park warned me. I'm lucky I was never with that boy outside of school. I am lucky there were only three men while I was with four friends. I'm guilty of not warning his next girlfriend and never telling him why what he was doing was wrong. I'm uncomfortable because of the way old men talk to me and my friend. I'm embarrassed that someone yelled that out the window while my friend was there. I'm scared that the next one will outrun me. I am angry that this keeps happening. I am a woman and I am lucky I haven't been raped, but I'm scared that I will be. And I'm angry at the thought of people getting away with this every single day. I am woman, hear me roar. I am furious. I'm saying no more. Okay, fantastic. Uh, couldn't be prouder, Alessandra. Uh, amazing poem. Uh, looks like you've already worked on a revision. I like a revision. <laughs> I think it works well. I think you've revised it uh, since workshop, but uh, it's very powerful. It's great to hear you read it out loud. Uh, it's a fantastic reading. Um, God, <laughs> uh, men are terrible. Huh? It's not. It's not. It's not good to be a man. Like sometimes, do you know that Naruto poem? I'm like, what is it? Like, I'm tired of being a man. It's, it's like the poem for all men. We should read that poem every day. It is tiring to be a man. Um, okay. Uh, hey, speaking you. of oh, tiring, uh, <laughs> I'm about to read a tiring poem. Uh, uh, wait, hold on, Surendri. I got to introduce you. <laughs> uh, our next poet is Surendri Rao. Now you can speak. Sure. Thank you, Jason. I, uh, I wrote this poem last May in the wake of the George Floyd protest, but it was more of like a mood poem. It wasn't specific and I actually kind of forgot about it. But then with the trial and everything going on, I thought it would be good to bring it back. Uh, and just one note, this like that only phrase is very much of an Indian English phrase. It's part of sort of Indian English patois. And I was trying to play around with different registers of language in this poem. Uh, okay, a whole mood like that only. The way old shank bones crack in labored footfalls, a ferret's crown squirms through its stretched chrysalis, this gruesome grinding forward of our empires. Like that only, one could say, but it's not only like that. It's also the slow slaughterhouse axe, weary war zone time that sighs through fire tongues of mindless loss. Mind, it's nothing much these works of days a day, just one's enough to quaff the galaxies, having as inexhaustible as lust is pointless. Prodigal millennia, just see the way these squalid trenches trace the buried waste of civilizations. What then? Fair enough, we have words, the best, the worst, words as vast as thought, as petty. In the end, our lexicons are nothing more than anything else. Though we may stand and kneel, genuflect in time's cathedrals, growing vaulting, crossing the sky in akimbo arms above as if to warn, stop, enough, we'll waterboard ourselves with bits and bobs, like that only, like snails gestating corsets, the gastropod fortresses we bear and imbue with sluggish life, we make it proper, chai requires spice, cardamom, cloves, cinnamon, such effort for a single sip, 
that's it. Like that only, the way we hack the hair that scruffs our, our skin again, again. What then? The world that whirls so quick insists on nothing. Yet we insist, and we will turn the phrase, toe the line as beaten plows, haul and furrow earth, gestate time that broods upon itself, like soil unfurled to germinate from fetid feculence, the undergirding rot of life, to write that only, because we are like that only. Okay, well done. Uh, did you write this in blank verse? Yeah, it's, it's iambic pentameter, uh, blank verse, yeah. Yeah, uh, props. <laughs> Uh, you try, you know, you can't sneak that by me, man. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, like I want a poetry to sneak. I'm just gonna put this little ionic pentameter poem in here. No one knows any different, but uh, yeah, we know <laughs> those of us in the tribe of blank first, all of you blank first dudes, Todd Friedman. I'm sure you knew. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks very much, Surendra. Uh, our next poet. I think this is my last Quinnipiac student of the night. Hopefully y'all haven't gotten sick of me saying Quinnipiac. <laughs> I'm, I myself am sick of saying Quinnipiac, but uh, I'm not sick of my students reading. Uh, Julie Rose Rivera, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, how are you? Okay, I'm excited to hear you read, go for it. When I think of life while riding the subway, how does this one subway line bring us all to our destination? but yet we are all going to different places. I board the train and place my bag beside me to ensure no one will sit next to me. Two earbuds in to avoid any unwanted conversation, praying that maybe this one time people will get the message. Stop by stop, I watch as more people board. A woman with a large green bag takes a seat across from me. What could she possibly be carrying? There's no possible way she could need everything in that bag. She looks so confused, almost as if she's in a daze. She must be going through something. I should stop staring. It's probably making her uncomfortable. But I can't help but notice the streams, the tears streaming down her face. I remember it's on my place to see if she's okay and focus my attention the other way. Three more stops to go. Ding dong, the door closed and we're off to the next stop. I look to my right and notice a man in the tattered stained up clothes. In the midst of winter, I wonder if this is his way to stay warm. What happens in someone's life for them to end up in this position? He props up a sign and places a small cup next to him. Homeless veteran in need of help. Any assumption, any assumption I made was wrong. How could someone who fought for our country be fighting to stay warm now? Ding dong, one more stop to go. Not a seat available as a pregnant woman with a baby enters the car. Someone's got to get up. Wow, everyone is just going to watch this woman struggle. Let me gather my things. She needs to take this seat. A quiet thank you and subtle smile. Why wouldn't everyone give up the seat for her? I guess in New York, people just ignore this type of thing. My stop is next. Quietly, I say, excuse me, excuse me, and try to make my way to the door. I forgot about the veteran with the sign and I have to go back. All I can think is, all of these people are gonna be so annoyed. I ponder on the thought of just exiting the train. No, I have to go back. Who knows when someone will help him. As I make my way toward him, I wonder how we are all here, each living different lives, but all in the same place. I drop $5 into his cup and I'm met with a big smile. How has his life come to this? How did we all end up on this train? Okay, Julie. Uh, terrific poem. It's a great poem capturing the subway. A very strange, 
and a uh, beautiful place all at the same time. Uh, I captured it very well. Um, I do feel like that woman thinks she needs everything in that green bag. <laughs> Just how it works. Even though probably everything in our minds is unnecessary, but yeah. Um, some bags are ridiculous. It's just like, why would you, why would you carry a bag that's that heavy? <laughs> I just don't get it. Um, okay. Thanks very much, Julie. Mm. Our next poet is the one and only Bonnie Belay. How are you doing, Bonnie? I'm doing fine. I wrote this last week in um, Constantine Jones' class. I'm okay. thoroughly enjoying his class. Great, good to hear. As a child, I walked alone between the woods and back door. I didn't trust adults. I was afraid of big kids. After high school, I walked into a thousand foreign cities, believing travel made me interesting. I had a lot to prove. We chose this road 50 years ago. In our 70s, we're wandering the slow lane, going into another heart-stopping spring, everything swelling, coming out, opening. My parents lost their way and were stopped by death. Judith, who used to work for me and just turned 78, is in and out of the hospital, uses a walker to take her tiny dog around the block. Sarah, my neighbor, can no longer manage stairs, rarely leaves her apartment. The boys next door never stopped running. Daffodils and red maples flower on both sides of the road, keeping me interested, pulling me to see the next flower, the next tree's pale green leaves. The road moves like a river, taking me across open ground, pushing me into mountain passes, past retirement, past 73, leading me to an end, into an end without agency. Death like a funhouse mirror, no telling what's on the other side. Okay, great as usual, Bonnie. I love your meditations walking out into the city. What's the subject of Constantine's workshop again? It, the title of it is On We Go, and we, we started with some um, different songs by Gillian Welsh, and then we went into a poem with um, Judy Denth uh, okay. about um, Denth. Okay. And, it, and, we, and, and we did that, and now we're on to something else. It's, it's, it's very interesting. He's a very interesting thinker. Okay, good to know. Uh, good stuff. Let's come out of it. All right. Uh, I'll let Constantine know that you read this poem tonight. Uh, thanks very much, Bonnie. Our next reader is Yana Kane. How are you doing, Yana? Hi, I am fine. Thank you. Um, like Bonnie, I'm right now taking a class. Um, I'm taking Portals into Language with Ariel Francisco, and I'm really, really enjoying that class. I, I feel like I'm sort of uh, getting in, into poetry in the English language more and more. And it's just a wonderful, a wonderful um, encouragement to that. And my classmates are really fun. <laughs> so, so this poem is, I wrote it uh, in, in this class as part of an assignment, but uh, I, I'm pleased, pleased to have done it. So it's called Now You. Help me understand this message. Tune into the faint voice that struggles to cross the void. What is the meaning of these words that arrive fevered with urgency and exhaustion? What words got lost in the explosions of noise 
pools of dead silence. Storm breaking over heaven, great, uprooted, scattered, broken, all, the lost, gone, 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 empty. Now you, whether hope to search for the light, two rainbow fragments together, Help me find a way to understand, to respond to the call, now you. Help me find a way to answer, whether hope. Help me find a way to, yes. Okay. Great stuff, Anna. Wait, did, so did you write this in Ariel's workshop or, or not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it it's, uh, was first assignment. Um, I, um, as I said, I'm really enjoying this, this workshop writing, interacting with students. I, I'm just really grateful uh, to, to, yeah. <laughs> for good poets. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what was the prompt for this? I, I love it. Um, it was, uh, um, this was the first prompt, so I don't remember if I, I'm not sure I remember it exactly, but I think that uh, there was like deletions or, or stuff omitted. Oh, I see. Uh, that's, that's the part that, that is most vivid in my mind. I get it. Like yeah. things that are hidden. Right. Interesting. Uh, okay. Thanks very much. Uh, beautiful poem. Uh, we are getting close to the end, I think. Yeah, we are. Oh, I think we have two readers left. Uh, Bill Livingston is our next reader, former uh, Broken Poets Yawper of the Year. Uh, Bill Livingston, how you feeling? Good. How you doing, man? I'm good. Right, Keeping it real up in Beacon? <laughs> I'm trying. You know, you should form the the Beacon Poets. Yeah, I'm thinking about calling it the Bacon Poets though, because <laughs> I don't have enough bacon in my life now that I have a vegan wife. It sounds like a fiddler. <laughs> yes. All right, go for it. The Good Doctor. My father glorified his brand new toy, a 1959 Buick Invicta convertible, red with white top. The good Dr. Livingston, you presume, was the most offensive driver in Altoona, Pennsylvania, treating skin conditions by day, by night, quacking at drivers who pissed him off or he pissed off like a crazed mallard. Wah, wah. As my already out of control hair blew in the wind, our faces burning in moonlight on the way to Baskin Robbins, our big event. Time spent with him was like a bootleg wedding gown, which spends as much time on the dance floor as the real McCoy, only to be put away in mothballs and pulled out to find it will never fit again. You should know he only charged $11 per office visit, if at all, and that he had a nervous breakdown when a new dermatologist came to town and charged $45. His truth was a midnight midwife, always ready to deliver until the stillborn white lie was birthed to protect me from the evils of the world. You should know his only violence was throwing me into, a, into the sofa, something I often did myself as Gomer Pyle tested the patience of Sergeant Carter on the fancy new RCA color TV, topped with his tarnishing golf trophies. You should know he wrote a poem that rhymed the day I was born. His first home run, a touchdown pass. His first run in with a fighting bass. I never liked baseball and played one season of football in junior high, running the wrong way with the ball. I did catch an 11-inch an, an large mouth bass with my grandfather, 
my father already three years dead. You should know he died of cancer on Christmas Day when I was eight years old, and I remember my mother telling me as I was looking down at my new red, white, and blue soccer shoes left under the tree by a Santa who betrayed me on feet that wouldn't touch a soccer ball until high school. You should know he's buried next to my mother, who outlived him 41 years and was left alone to raise me and two older sisters while dealing with her epilepsy. His bones mingle with her ashes on a hill with a lovely view of the Walmart, where I buy diapers and formula for my own children, where I buy flowers for their grave, where I'd envy the greeter with Down syndrome and his lack of vexing options, where I'd look toward their hill from the parking lot, trying to remember as my memories are like a well-worn zoo where the apes have escaped, the bear's teeth are missing, and the lion's ribs are shown. Great poem, Bill. Thank you. Uh, yeah, great great poem, Bill. Dad. I love the ending. Uh, <laughs> memories like a well-worn zoo. Very unexpected turn at the end to that imagery. Uh, did, you write this, did you write this recently? It was recent. Um, I made a note several years ago to write a poem about my father. Yeah. And and with a cadence of you should know, you should know this, you should know that. And um, <clears throat> threw in like several metaphors to make a, like a narrative metaphor sandwich, if you will. <laughs> yeah, uh, well done. Yeah, that's that definitely seems like something that uh, you probably had been meaning to write for a while. I feel like we all, all of us poets have that, like we have these ideas, like uh, you, you know you need to write this someday, but maybe you're not ready at that particular time. Yeah. And now you are ready, clearly. Um, all right, thanks very much, Bill. Thank you. Uh, I think we got one poet left off the wait list, uh, former Broken Poets Fellow and uh, Yacht Poem of the Month winner. I think I'm remembering all your awards, Shanice. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, just read for our staff picks event. Uh, all right, go for it, Shanice. Cool, thanks. Um, so, um, like many others who read tonight, I wrote this poem for a um, Brooklyn Poets Workshop that I'm in right now, writing um, Revolutionary Love with um, Daryl, and it's really great. An Awakening of the Body. Next door, they are tearing into the earth, ripping ground to set foundation. My kitchen shakes, the tremors of a home. They move earth not because they can, because they do as told, clawing at the dirt, carrying it away. Hux is shedding. I collect his discarded whiskers Five already on the blue dresser. Even animals prepare for the season for growing. This week, a cardinal among the birds visiting the backyard. My allotment of green in this grid of brick I love. Through the window, I watch the remaining leaves shake and shiver ground soft and damp. After a backbend, I am back in my skin 
Again, I feel my limbs. Again, the shifting of ground. Where do you take unwanted earth? Where does it go to grow? To see a red bird means good news is near. Someone not earthbound watching over. Someone not of body appears to me as a bird. A flash of red seen when skin it breaks. The start of the cycle nestled among the stumps of things ended by winter. Green growth comes. Thank you. Okay, beautiful poem. What a beautiful way to end the evening. You said you wrote this in Daryl's workshop? I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. Gave it some slight edits since I um, wrote it then, but yeah. All right. Uh, what, was, what was the prompt for this poem? Do you remember? Yes, the prompt for this poem was to write a poem centering the body in nature. Um, and yeah. the prompt was based on trees, exclamation point, um, by Denise. <laughs> trees, exclamation point. Okay. Well, Which it seems that, like you've done it. Yeah, that was a beautiful poem. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks very much, Denise. Uh, amazing as always. Okay, so that is the end of our uh, open mic lineup. Let me let me just make sure there wasn't another poet lurking around the corner. Um, I'm going to go back through the poets. Uh, before I do that, let me give you the number again to vote for poem of the month. Uh, should you like to do that? 718-374-1953. You can just text me the poet's name. Uh, vote once. If you read tonight, yeah, you can uh, certainly vote for yourself if you are so inclined. Uh, if you have never been at a yacht before, uh, the 12 winners of uh, Yacht Poem of the Month over the course of the year uh, face off for Yacht Poem of the Year honors, which will take place in December at our next awards gala, uh, which hopefully we can do in person. We will see. Uh, so our last reader was Shanice Hughes Greenberg. Uh, going backwards before Shanice was Bill Livingston. Before Bill, we heard from Yana Kane. Before Yana, we heard from Bonnie Belay. Before Bonnie Belay, we heard from Julie Rose Rivera. Before Julie Rose, we heard from Surrendria Rao. Before Surrendria, we heard from Alessandra Veron. Before that, we heard from Eleanor Morgan. Before Eleanor, we heard from Arthur Russell. It's cool that I'm recognizing the poets from their forms. Before Arthur, we heard from Seth Leeper. Pretty sure this is Seth. Okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Seth Leeper. Before Seth, we heard from, this is Emma, right? Yes, Emma Gallagher. Before Emma, we heard from Morgan Boyle. Uh, one note, you could vote for Morgan again if you want this month, uh, but you can't win twice <laughs> because uh, you only get one slot in the Poem of the Year contest because it would be weird if you read twice in the same contest. Uh, but if you want to vote for Morgan again, you can. Uh, before Morgan, we heard from Todd Friedman. Before Todd, we heard from... Uh, this was Monica Romo, I believe. Monica Romo, yes. 
for Monica, we heard from Judy Schneier, poem about uh, her mother, when my, what my mother fed me. Before Judy, we heard from Harvey Sauce, Noah. I feel, I feel confident in my memory tonight. It makes me feel good about aging. <laughs> Before Harvey, we heard from Gita Morrison, Enough is Enough. Before Gina, we heard from Cassidy Gabriel, beautiful poem called Lips. Before Cassidy, we heard from Samantha Marin, another beautiful poem about home. Home is not respectable. We're almost back to the beginning. Before Samantha, we heard from Tori Franklin, uh, amazing poem, uh, When I Think of Alice Bold While Walking to My Car. And I think that was the start because before, oh no, sorry, we had one more. Before Tori was Stella Lee. And I think that brings us all the way back to the beginning because before Stella was Anna Bazicevich. Yes. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully you remember all those names. Uh, to vote for Poem of the Month for April 718-374-1953. Uh, I see your note. Yeah, I appreciate that note. Yes, uh, I, I too love how the poems uh, are so diverse in their physical forms. And it's, uh, you know, one of the pleasures of doing the, the, these events virtually is that we, we get, really get to appreciate the forms on the page, uh, which we obviously can't really do when we hear them read out loud. Obviously, hearing them read out loud is a pleasure, but uh, it's, a, it's an added pleasure to be able to see the poems on the page. Okay, um, again, if you uh, could take a selfie and send it to us, that'd be great, or post it on Instagram, tag us at Brooklyn Poets. Uh, I've taken some screenshots, but uh, you know, those are not reliable <laughs> and they all look the same. So uh, they would be great if you would send us some charming selfies, uh, preferably with pets or other inanimate objects um, in your background. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna eat dinner. Maybe take a picture of uh, yourself while you're eating dinner. Uh, we've had some food poems tonight. Our next uh, yawp, comes your way on May 10th. You can sign up right now if you're interested in reading for the next open mic. Uh, I wouldn't wait too long as if you've been to these, you know the open mic lineup fills very quickly, usually within 24 hours. Um, so if you wanna sign up, go to brokenpost.org, look under events, go to the op page and uh, sign up there. We are, I'm still trying to figure out who's going to lead the next YOP. I've asked three or four people already and none of them can do it. So uh, that'll be sorted out soon. So it's right now it's TBD, but uh, we will announce the next YOP teacher very soon. Again, uh, a couple more announcements uh, about stuff coming up. Um, let me stop sharing actually. <laughs> um, this Sunday, April, what day is that? April 18th is our next craft lab with Terrence Hayes. If you don't know Terrence Hayes, uh, you should. Uh, he's, he's one of the most brilliant poets writing uh, in the world today, really. Uh, and uh, it's a pleasure to have. This is the first thing we've done with Terrence Hayes. Uh, I've been trying to get Terrence to do something with Broken Poets for a long time. I've known him for a while. Uh, and uh, I guess he was he's probably just too famous and too busy to do anything, but uh, this works out. Uh, it's just like one afternoon. I feel like he could, he could do it. And uh, he's got a great workshop uh, that he's going to lead on. Uh, it's called uh, DIY, uh, the DIY of truth, the poem uh, as you, or the poem of you, I can't remember what the exact title is, but basically uh, he's going to lead you to write a kind of Ars Poetica uh, for yourself. And uh, I've seen the PDF of the, of the workshop. It looks pretty amazing. So 
If you uh, haven't uh, registered for that, I recommend you doing that uh, before Sunday. If you uh, need to request financial aid, you can do that until Friday. Uh, again, if you are interested in our virtual summer retreat, uh, early registration for that runs through April 25th. And as I said at the beginning of the op, uh, maybe you weren't here for that. We are extending the uh, fellowship application deadline a couple of weeks because we would like to get some more applications for that. So uh, we'll be announcing that on social media tomorrow. So if you want to apply for a fellowship to attend that for free, uh, you have a couple more weeks to do that. Last announcement, Thursday, April 29th. The next installment of our Broken Poets reading series featuring Arisa White, John Murillo, and Reginald Dwayne Betts, three uh, amazing poets, truly. That event is free. You can sign up for that, brokenpoets.org. Look under events, uh, look at reading series. Um, okay, uh, that is all. Thanks to my staff, uh, as always, who are uh, uh, indefatigable and loyal and brilliant. Uh, appreciate all of you for helping out with this event. Thanks to all of you for joining us again for this. Uh, one day, maybe this summer, we'll be able to do these again in person, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying de doing these virtually. Uh, be well, be safe, uh, and uh, enjoy your dinners. If you haven't eaten those yet, I'm going to cook up some scallops. It's going to be tasty. All right. I will see you in May. Take care. There you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for April 12th, featuring the one and only Anna Bozicevich. Thanks to Anna for not only kicking ass during the open mic with some poems from her new chapbook, but uh, for leading a great workshop drawn from her five-week workshop called uh, Poem Bodies, Lyrical Commons, which just ended recently. Congrats to second-time open mic reader Cassidy Gabriel, very young poet, for winning Yacht Poem of the Month in April for her incredible poem, Lips. Cassidy has earned a spot in our 2021 Poem of the Year Smackdown, which will come your way at our awards gala in December, tentatively scheduled for December 13th, if you want to mark your calendars. Uh, our next Yacht, if you're interested, comes your way on May 10th, that's just next week actually. It will be led by new Brooklyn Poets professor Carly Hoffman, a former Brooklyn Poets fellow. Carly's leading uh, a workshop with one of the best titles we've ever had for a workshop called The Excruciating. Can't think of a better title for a workshop to uh, come out of the pandemic really. Uh, and her workshop on May 10th will focus on writing poems of rage. So uh, I think that theme will probably speak to you. If you're interested, go to brooklynpoets.org to sign up. Uh, look under the events tab and you will find the YAWP first and click on that and you can sign up right there. Uh, I got a few more announcements. We got a lot of things coming up at Brooklyn Poets. We've uh, opened early registration for our summer workshops, uh, and that runs through May 30th. You can get $15 off if you're not a member through May 30th. If you are a member, you can get $25 off at any time. If you are interested in taking a workshop for free or uh, at uh, largely reduced cost, you can apply for a fellowship. That deadline is very soon, just a couple of weeks, Sunday, May 16th. Again, go to brokenpoets.org. 
check out our workshops and look under fellowships if you're interested in applying for a fellowship. Uh, our next event is May 17th. That will be our spring workshop showcase featuring poets and teachers from our winter spring workshops. And uh, right after that, on May 23rd, is our next craft lab with Jadish Bande on poetic turns and the shape of the poem. And after that, Thursday, June 3rd, our next Book and Post reading series event featuring C, also known as Constantine Jones, one of our teachers, Jordan E. Franklin, and Mark Bibbins. And one last announcement. You can still sign up for our summer retreat, which will be held virtually from June 18th through 20th. Registration is still open for that. Uh, right now, you get $50 off registration. That will be led by Marla Halal, Tayamba Jess, Natalie Eilbert, and yours truly. That is all. If you haven't subscribed to us on iTunes, we'd love it if you would do that. If you haven't rated us on iTunes, we'd love it if you would do that as well. Rate us five stars. And uh, the next time we're in person, will we do the up in person? I will buy you a beer. <laughs> and hopefully that will happen in the next several months. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're safe. Uh, and we will see you in May. Take care. <laughs>